Thank you. Hallelujah, Christ, our Paschal Lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 20. Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nail and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, we are just like Thomas. We doubt. And we thank you that you overcome our doubts and our fears by visiting us, by coming into our lives, by showing your grace and your love. So help us show that same grace to our neighbors and to ourselves, that you would stir up faith in our hearts. Amen. The disciples were on high alert. They were out of towners. And the local officials, the Judeans, had conspired 
to crucify Jesus. They could have very well been next simply by associating with each other and Jesus. So it's no surprise that they would have locked the door in the house that they were staying in. It was the first day of the week, Sunday, the day of the resurrection. Back then, Sunday is like Monday today. Everyone would have been back to work the first day of the week. Jesus is somehow able to get into their locked room undetected. How? Well, he's resurrected, so he's a spiritual body. Does that mean a spiritual body can pass through walls? Maybe. And yet there's something physical, very physical about his spiritual body. He was not just a ghost, not an apparition, but the body of Jesus came back to life in a new and different way. It's normal for us to puzzle about this and to think about it. What does this mean? Sometimes when we think about this promise of resurrection, right, the promise is that the, the same thing that happened to Jesus will happen to us. At the end of time, when Jesus comes back, our bodies will resurrect wherever they may be. All people of all time. This has led people to ask questions like, will there be room for everyone on the face of the earth? If you think about everyone that's ever lived in all of time coming back to life, resurrected, where, where will we be? Will we have to build more housing for everyone? People have actually calculated the surface of the earth. Is there enough room for everyone? They've done the math. And yeah, there is room for everyone. Some of us might have to move to Texas, but you know, there'll be room. When people really start to think about our bodies being resurrected at the end of time, other questions come up, like cremation. People ask me, well, if, if that's the case, then is Christianity really okay with cremation? And my answer to that is always the same thing. Well, it depends. Cremation. Is it Christian? It depends if the person's alive or dead. If they're alive, we're totally against it. But if the person has passed, it's okay. It's okay. Because when that time comes, God will bring together the dust, our ashes, wherever they may be, and God will be able to resurrect our bodies. Resurrection seems to bump up against what is physically possible. Everything that we know about anything seems to suggest that it all dies. I was having coffee with someone once upon a time that knew a lot about physics, and they said, it's one of the physical laws of the universe. Everything decomposes, even atoms. So let's talk about 
Thomas, the twin. Thomas isn't there on Easter Sunday, the first day of the week when Jesus showed up. But he is there one week later. It would be today, a week after the resurrection morning. Thomas touches Jesus and believes. Jesus isn't a ghost. He has a body that you could feel. So Thomas believes. And I think that that's a pretty honest account of how faith works. We are all like Thomas in some ways. We question. We doubt. And that's okay. What's interesting, and maybe even a bit troubling, is not the doubting and the questioning. What's more disruptive than that is that even despite our rational brains, even despite being moved only by hard evidence, that God has somehow nudged us by the Holy Spirit to have faith. Each of us has a story about how this has happened. Some are more dramatic than others. But Jesus enters into our lives and leads us into faith. so that we believe that Jesus is alive, real, loves us, has power, and ought to be listened to and followed. In so many ways, basic traditional Christian belief is completely out of step with popular belief. Perhaps more strange than thinking about bodies resurrecting, what puzzles us even more is how we come to faith in the first place. And what I mean by that is the freedom of the will. That is not biblical. The Bible does not really support a free will. The Bible seems to suggest, rather like Thomas, we don't so much choose to believe, but God chooses us to have faith. Luther wrote a whole treatise called The Bondage of the Will. The point being that faith isn't so much a choice that we make, but that God calls us into. And so here we are. Some people having faith and some people don't. Why is that? If you would permit me for a second to take a brief detour, I would like to make an analogy. There have been some more books written recently about, you know, the division in our world today, the, the political division that's just a it's just a pain. It's a thorn in our side, the divisions we experience among our friends and families. And there's some more research that suggests that people kind of don't even really choose their politics. 
right? And I'm very careful here. I'm not picking either side or however many there are, but there seems to be evidence that suggests that people just kind of fall into one way of looking at things, maybe based on how they were raised, maybe influential teachers in their life. But very seldomly do people really pick the way that they look at the world. I had a friend in college, and we loved to debate philosophy. And one time we were just going at it, debating each other, going back and forth. And finally we said, hey, time out. Excuse me. And we realized all of his arguments he was making based on what he learned and the teachers that he had that taught him his outlook. And I was arguing all the points that my teachers had made. And so we were asking ourselves, are we even arguing with each other or are we just proxies, our professors arguing against each other? The point being is that we are not as free with our will as we would like to think. And especially faith, getting back to the point, people who have faith and people who don't have faith, why? Why does God, the real question is, why does God give some people faith and why does God not give other people faith? I don't no. Why do we have people in our lives whom we love, we adore, and they have never had an experience of Jesus or God in their life to give them faith? I don't know. But I do know that that is what it takes. Only Jesus can really help people believe. How do you know when you have faith? You know when you know. A couple weeks ago, I was telling you a story about when Sherry and I went from friends to something more. And it was a few short time later after that that I was thinking about proposing. I was getting everything ready, preparing for the Awesome, taking an awesome step of faith in my own life, and I reached out to my mother for some advice. And I said, Mom, how do you know when it's time? And she said in great motherly wisdom, you know when you know. And that's how it is with faith. You know when you know. So what are we supposed to do if we can't make people believe like us. Test, test. If we can't make people believe like us, what can we do? Well, Jesus told the disciples, and he tells us. He says, just as the Father sent me, so I send 
you. And then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, and he said, you have the authority to forgive sins or to not. And in our reading this morning from Revelation, thank you, Ingrid, for reading. In that great vision, John says that we are all a kingdom of priests. And in our reading from Acts, when the authorities told the apostles, stop teaching in his name. And they basically said, we answer to a higher authority than you. We are called to preach grace and forgiveness to everybody. We don't limit God's grace and forgiveness only to people we agree with, only to people who have faith like us. No, we preach God's grace to everybody. Jesus commanded us to go out and to forgive and to love just like he did. That is what we are called to do. And when we do that, God in God's time will stir up faith when the time is right. You'll know when it happens when it happens. Just like it took Thomas a week longer than everybody else of the disciples, it happens in God's time. Notice they didn't beat up on Thomas. They didn't judge him. They didn't say, where were you? They just shared with him the good news, God's grace, and in his time, he believed. And God will make a time for everybody. In conclusion, Psalm 118, there's a verse in there that really stood out to me. It says this, it says, God punished me sorely, but did not hand me over to death. I don't know about you, but I look back in my life and I can see times when I was pretty wrong-headed, when I had a really not good idea and I was headed down a path that wasn't very productive. And I can see how God intervened in my life in different ways. I can see that. I can see how God redirected me and encouraged me to follow a path that was closer to God's own path of righteousness. And I see that as God's grace. And when we have faith, we see that. We don't just see random accidents. We see God's grace providing and caring for us in every moment. So we don't worry about controlling when or how. God will intervene. God will redirect. We preach grace, forgiveness, and the resurrected Christ. God will handle all the rest. Amen.